Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, what's it gonna, what's it gonna take? Uh, what, what are you looking for? What's your measuring stick? What's it going to take for you to feel um, fulfilled? So say, uh, okay, we fast forward to the credits of your life. Uh, You're not quite kicked the bucket, but you're still breathing. If you were to look back on your life, what would be the, um, the things of value, the the elements of your life, how you lived your life, that would bring you the most joy in those final, in that final chapter, those final moments. What's your measuring stick for that? I mean, I'm, we could say, you know, why are you here and what's your life purpose? But um, we've talked on the show many times about getting clear with uh, not the superficial, but kind of the deeper substance of what might fulfill us, what might give us a sense of uh, satisfaction, a a deeper sense of uh, perhaps gratitude for how our life has unfolded. I think that's always a thing of value to noodle in in your noggin. Um, What the hell are you doing here? And uh, what's important to you? The clearer you get with that, I think, the easier it is to make choices that support you, that nurture you. And uh, tonight... I'm excited for our episode. The topic tonight is the happiness recipe, and our guest tonight is Rebecca Morrison. We're going to bring her on in just a minute. But the, the, I guess the measuring stick of, of what fulfills you, what, what brings a sense of uh, fulfillment, not only to your ego, but to your heart and to your soul. I, I think part of what we struggle with is is we kind of get parked in our in our ego, in our brain, and you know it's life in the fast brain. It's we sit there and noodle and noodle and noodle, and uh, but we're not really getting any traction from our inspiration from our passion from our excitement. Many people are drowning in the mundane or or perhaps the what they're paying attention to really doesn't have any weight or substance or value to them. And if your attention's on the wrong thing, it can take a very long time to come around the bend and and perhaps not even ever get there as far as the sense of of feeling at home in your body, feeling 
at home in your life, feeling content with with life the way it is. I, was it the Buddha that said, uh, all suffering comes from failing to accept what is? Anywho, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have uh, lots to talk about. I think we should get to it. Again, the topic tonight is the happiness recipe, a powerful guide to living what matters. This is the name of Becky's latest book. We are born to be happy. Somewhere along the way, our lives get cluttered. To find your recipe for happiness, you need to know what matters most to you. Have strong beliefs to support taking the necessary next steps and actually doing the kinds of things you want to while letting go of the rest. You will also need to be willing to share your desires with the world, something that is often challenging. This is where the happiness recipe comes in with actionable steps for closing the gaps that are often present along the path to happiness. Becky shares insights on how to start living a happier life, starting right now. No matter how busy or overwhelmed you feel, this book, this book will help you identify what has been standing between you and your happiness so you can focus your energy on changes that will meaningfully impact your existence. Join me in welcoming Becky to the show. Becky, it's so nice to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Wes. It's really wonderful to be here. Now, you've wrote, you've written a book uh, about happiness. Um, there's got to be a personal story in there somewhere. Can you give us the, the overview of how you came about to writing such a book? Sure. Um, And to give you that overview, I'm going to rewind a little bit to a moment probably, um, gosh, at this point, it's about 17 years ago, um, on a weeknight, just like tonight, where I found myself um, at home, uh, sitting on the floor of my bathroom with my toddler daughter in the bathtub. And at the time, I was working as a litigator in a large law firm, and we were preparing for an upcoming trial. And my husband, at the, he's still my husband, but at the time he was working in counterterrorism. And something had happened in the world, and he had gotten called into work. And so I was on kid duty and work duty. And I was, you know, doing two things at once. I had my toddler in the bath, and I had the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants. And I had my papers spread around me, and I had the toilet seat down with my notebook on it. And I was um, leading a call with our experts, getting them ready for their upcoming, I can't remember whether it was depositions or trial. And I had two thoughts in that moment in very quick succession. The first thought was, who says you can't do it all? Like, here I am, I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm with my daughter, I'm taking care of her, I've got a job, I'm on partnership track, I'm having success. You know, who says you can't do it all? And the next thought was, and I'm exhausted, and I'm not sure if I'm happy. And that led me sort of personally on a, I don't want to call it a quest, that might be too strong, but on a path where I really spent a lot of time um, thoughtfully and intentionally architecting a life and career that allowed me to actually have more of what mattered to me and not so much all of the things that, you know, checked the boxes. Um, 
fast forward to three, almost four years ago now, and I found myself again at a crossroads. And I decided that what I wanted to do was take the knowledge that I had built in my own life and career um, in law firms and uh, both as a lawyer and on, a, on the admin side and really help other people. Um, you know, at the time I phrased it as enabling their success. Um, so I got certified as an executive coach. And I got my certification in February of 2020. <clears throat> and in March of 2020, I found myself at very loose ends um, because the world had shut down. And all of the things that I had planned to do, all of the ways that I knew how to network, all of the ways that I knew how to go out and experiment with kind of what, what kind of coach I wanted to be and how I wanted to deliver this content were sort of gone. And so I signed up for a writing retreat and wrote a book instead. And this really, the book really represents um, sort of the foundation of the coaching work that I do now, which is to work with people to help them. I mean, you said it so artfully in your introduction, to help them dial in in this season of their life into what matters most to them so that they can build a life that feels good, that is comfortable, that is purposeful, that is intentional, and that is less noisy than the world in which we live. It's not that uncommon for people to, like, um, I don't know if I'd call them goals or or desires or even fantasies or dreams. The idea that, you know, once I make partner, once I get that mm-hmm. promotion, once I get married, once I get, you know, <laughs> slightly off topic, when I hear uh, young, uh, engaged kids, you know, I'm getting married and they say, Oh, they make me so happy, and I'm and I pound my head against a wall, going, "Darling, if if they're responsible for your happiness, they're also responsible for your sadness." And what a oh, what, yeah. what what a a burden to put on the the person that you love. When when we in our own personal life, when we uh, put it in the future. I'll be happy when quote this happens or quote that happens. How how can we um, perhaps disconnect from like milestone happiness, so to speak? Well, I want to just first validate that milestone happiness. When we look at the history of happiness, right? Even the history of the word happiness and the history of the concept happiness, it very much grew up as first a luck thing. I mean, the word happiness it, it shares the same root with happenstance, right? The notion was that you just get lucky and by chance you have this happiness. And then as the concept evolved, like in in philosophy and philosophical thinking, it became well, we measure happiness based on where you land at the end of your life, and so we very naturally sort of take this view that grows out of that way of thinking of like happiness is when happiness is when I arrive at the destination. But the reality of sort of the science of happiness is that happiness or, or living in positive emotion is an everyday activity. It is a present moment activity It's not something that we can reap the benefits of by delaying it. And so it's super important to tune into and and, um, sort of unpack how it is that we can, in our present day, in our present moment, in our present circumstances, find opportunities for happiness and other positive emotional experiences. Nice, very nice. I've had the same notion with joy. I like the notion of saying, what do you enjoy about today? To, To take the time to find moments of joy today will put you in fine practice to enjoy tomorrow 
And if you keep that up as a habit, you just might enjoy your life. And uh, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Well, um, ha- happiness is very similar to that. Wouldn't it be that if if I can find uh, or perhaps develop a habit of happiness today, I'll be better equipped to be happy tomorrow? Does, I mean, what do you think? Well, I think I, I interrupted you because I got excited because you're speaking my language. Um, <laughs> but, but, no, what I, what I think is this. I mean, I think that is a big part of it is, is developing the muscles that allow you to tune into. And, and when I say happiness, I mean, it's actually the least lawyerly thing that I do because what I really mean is a broad spectrum <laughs> of positive emotional experiences. I really mean, you know, not ignoring the negatives, but rather developing the tools that allow you to process all of the emotions and be in touch with all of the emotions in yourself, in your body, in your world. Um, and so it's actually much broader than just the word, word happiness. But, but I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head, right? It's about developing the habits and practices that allow you to do two things. One, notice the happiness or the pos- positive emotional opportunities that exist in your life already. And then two, um, develop a menu of things that you know will result in you having a positive emotional experience and, and really distill those down to their essence so that you can drop or them back into every day when you need something happy. And I mean little things, right? Like, so I'm not talking about big, big things, like I have to go on vacation in order to have a positive emotional experience. I'm talking about can I really just tune in to the feel of, you know, a, a fire in the fireplace or the crackling or the feel of a hug or the taste of something that I really love? I mean, can I really sort of practice um, that kind of in-the-moment intentionality and savoring that allows you to sort of amplify the impact? Well, do we get in our way then by putting happiness on bigger things and therefore we don't ever bump up into them at, at scale, so to speak. I mean, when you talk about finding the crackle of the fire, the, the taste of the, the candy coffee in the morning, <laughs> yep. um, um, maybe part of what uh, uh, makes happiness evasive to us is we we can't see it right in front of us in the little things. We we put a higher context to it, and so we can't see opportunities for it. I think that is part of it. I think there's a couple things that get in our way, and that is one. I mean, right, this notion that happiness has to come from sort of, we talked about it already, some sort of result, some sort of destination, some sort of arrival, something big. And then also, I mean, look, like, I think we all are aware that evolutionarily our brains are trained to help us survive. And so they're trained actually to notice the negative or the risky things in our lives, the the quote-unquote threats to our safety. They are not trained to notice and savor the crackle of the fire or, like you said, the taste of the coffee in the morning or whatever it is that, you know, are, are those smaller moments. So we're actually just sort of not wired to notice those things. And then when you layer on top of that, the reality that we live in an incredibly noisy world, right? We live in a world where there are a lot of demands on our time. There are a lot of demands on our attention. We have information coming at us from the palm of our hand at lightning speed that, again, is just distracting us from the ability to, to tune in and focus and, and really take those moments of savoring and appreciation. So I think it's a... 
kind of a multi-layered challenge that we that we face in overcoming it. And the only way that we can do that is really by, I mean, and again, you, you hit the nail on the head in the intro, but like what I wrote down is, you know, focus is so important. Like where we're putting our focus is so powerful. Where we focus grows. And so if we can begin to sort of like harness our focus and put it on those little moments of joy or contentment or satisfaction or happiness or enjoyment, I think that really stands, I mean, the science tells us that that stands to deliver some really important, powerful benefits to us. Well, there's uh, um, there's so much in the uh, collective consciousness, so to speak. The the normal of 2019 has vanished, and and I think it's created a, a void. And people are um, lobbying for establishing establishing their um, the word escapes me, their priorities as the new narrative, the new collective narrative. So so it, what I'm getting at is um, there's many dialogues, um, mm-hmm. climate change, whatever, 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 just pile it on because it's as thick as thick can be. And if we're not, it, um, if that doesn't bring us joy, now, and, and I'm not talking about sticking our heads in the sand, but if the majority of what we do put our attention on is um, is contrary to our happiness, how do we how how do you balance that? I mean, you, the, the world's a very real and tangible place, or so it seems, and and yet and and there's so much chaos in the collective. How do you how do you um, gotta uh, the word justify comes, but that sounds like a terrible word. How do you justify feeling happy when when there's so much narrative that says, oh, my God, doom and gloom, run away, run away, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, so let me just talk about what I've learned around the science of happiness, and this is part of how, how for me, why why I justify devoting work to helping people identify where to, you know, where to find their happiness recipe. So the science tells us a couple of things. The science tells us that people who live happier um, are healthier. They live longer. They are more productive. They are more efficient. They are more effective. And so if we can have a happy population, and by happy in this instance, what I really mean, and I think I sort of alluded to this, is like a broader spectrum of living in a way where we are prioritizing positive emotional experiences and where we are, are um, equipped to deal with the tough emotions or the tough experiences that come our way. Um, I think when we have a happy population, we have the opportunity to do more to solve all of those doom and gloom problems. The other thing that the science tells us is that when we are experiencing a positive emotion, two, things, two important things happen. The first is that our actual view of the world expands. And, and I mean that down to like our peripheral vision increases, but also our ability to creatively problem solve and to find new and different alternatives increases. And the second important thing that happens is our reserves of resilience build. It actually puts what I like to think of as sort of deposits into our, um, our emotional piggy bank or our resilience piggy bank that allow us to weather the tough stuff that might be coming down the road. So, I mean, to flip the question around on you a little, 
how can we afford not to take the time to do this for ourselves so that we are better equipped to deliver our best work to the world in whatever it is that we're going to take on a challenge? Very nice. Those attributes, you, you talk about peripheral vision expanding and and whatnot, those are powerful attributes for an individual. Typically, our institutions aren't agile and nimble about such things. Um, you've written a book about happiness. How can how can our culture um, introduce the uh, education or understanding or even a practice or a community type of a uh, happiness factors, so to speak, because if indeed we're bumping up against problems that we've never seen in 2019 and, and nobody's got the per se roadmap in an absolute way, it sounds like happiness is a very powerful attribute that would serve us all, both individually and collectively, for reconstituting a new normal that might be more authentic to what we desire. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, how long do you have, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to that answer, right? And so I don't, I mean, most of the work that I do is focused on individuals and, and, sure. and teams, small teams within organizations, right? So I'm not operating and I'm not offering thoughts at the collective level, although I think that the way I think about it is that um, I, there are some people doing really important and, and meaningful work in that space, and I look at it as like we got to be working at it from both ends, right? So the way that I like to think about it is for each of us, you know, in this conversation right now, you, me, and everybody listening, what can we do in our lives to sort of begin to reap the benefits of happiness for us and the people most immediately around us in a way that will enable us to better um, <clears throat> to better like you said, confront the issues of the day and build a reality that is going to be um, more sustainable. And there's two pieces that I think about it um, on the individual level. And I'll give you the pieces and then you can tell me which, which, where we should go from there. One piece is sort of what is in my book, which is how do you architect your life in this season in a way that maximizes your happiness? And and there's a lot of elements to that. And then the other piece of it that is not in the book but is a big part of the work that I do is what kind of daily practices can we have that would that can easily enhance our happiness in, that can begin to shift our mindset and our mindfulness around sort of noticing those moments of positive emotion that we do have in our lives. How can we begin to shift it kind of on a daily basis without doing anything to change our broader circumstances or to re-architect our life in a meaningful way? So it's kind of two levels, and that's where I like to play. Well, I like that second one because um, when they get the book, they'll have that content. So if we add the content of that second point you made, that'll that'll – um, expand what we bring to the audience, and I always like that. Awesome. So, um, well, where should I start? I'm just trying to see where the inspiration is going to take me. Um, I mean, so like, there's a, there's a couple of simple, and I don't mean to tre you know, to plow ground that's already been plowed. 
but there are a couple of simple little exercises that I would encourage people to try if they aren't already doing something like this. And so I'm sure, you know, many people have heard of or heard the suggestion or have even implemented some sort of gratitude practice, right? Some sort of um, thing that they're doing daily or weekly, you know, with some regularity where they're noticing and appreciating good things in their lives. So I'd like to offer you just a little bit of a tweak for that. And this is a research-backed tweak. This comes out of the positive psychology field. Um, Martin Seligman, who's sort of the the father of positive psychology, um, did a study where it's called the Three Good Things Study. And they asked people to write down um, three good things that happened to them that day. And they asked people to do that for 21 days. And what they found is that simple act had a meaningful impact on their overall level of happiness, on their resilience, on their levels of depression and anxiety after that 21-day intervention. So we are, what are we now? 10 days from the end of 2022, right? So if you were to do this between now and the middle of January, Imagine what your life could look like and imagine how it could feel different. And so, again, it's a super small intervention, and it is simply this. Every day, take the time to memorialize three things that happened that were good. And some people struggle with that, that good, the word good on it, like how do I know if it's good or bad or what is it good enough or, you know, our overreachers right. in the audience. Um, <laughs> and so a way that I simplified <laughs> it for my clients is three things that made you smile. And I literally mean three things that made you smile. And it could be the way that my dog, you know, looked at me this morning was hysterical. Or it could be somebody sent me a really funny meme. It doesn't have to have deep meaning. It just has to have created a positive emotional experience for you. Um, And if you want extra credit, you can add three, you can make it three things that happened today that were good or made me smile and how I was part of making that happen. Well, very nice. And go ahead. We're, we are creatures of habit, and I think uh, 2020 um, will be a scapegoat for a long time. I'm kidding. Yeah. That, that um, uh, all of our lives changed, and we had to more or less take on new habits. And, and yeah. our, perhaps our daily habits got pushed to the back as we had to re- recalculate, recalculate, recalculate what the hell's going on and kind of an endurance mentality and 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 we instilled that in our in our daily lives and now we're kind of coming out of the storm somewhat. It and if we don't go back and reestablish creatures of habit, habits, patterns, attitudes, beliefs that reconstitute our the joy, the happiness, the the perhaps even the the purpose or the value values that our choices and uh, actions can bring to us. I like what you're saying. It it it's like getting conscious about reinstituting, or and they might not have been there in 2019, but. A lot of people have decided new things in the last two years to to put the value of your happiness into a daily practice 
over time to instill it as a new pattern. I really like that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and that three good things exercise could happen while you're brushing your teeth. It could happen, you know, at night right before you go to bed. I mean, there are you could set an alarm in your phone to, ha you know, to do it at lunchtime every day. There's no magic to the when or the how. And the other thing I'll add for those perfectionists in the audience, if you miss a day in the 21 days, it's okay. Right. <laughs> You're still going to feel the impact of doing this, right? And so this is not like a routine you have to adopt and have to adopt perfectly for, for you to see the results. I mean, it's been really astonishing. And, and any time I speak and any time, you know, any, almost every client I think that I work with at this point, um, we engage in this activity at some point. And without fail, I get the feedback that this has made a measurable difference. And I will tell you that I was skeptical at the beginning. I'm like, something that small cannot be that big, but I promise it is. Well, you're planting seeds, really. You're, you're planting seeds in your psyche that if you instill them as patterns can, can help reconstitute a, a, a new narrative, a new dynamic for your life. Now, I'm looking at your book as we speak, and in the contents, in part one, you talk about the authenticity gap. Part two is the emotional yeah. energy gap. Part three is the physical energy gap. What are these gaps? So this goes back to the notion that, like, one of the things that I like to do is to sort of take people and invite them in this season of their life to really consider what would it look like if I were living a happier life? And often there are three, three gaps that I find get in, the, get in the way of executing on that living that happier life. The first, I call it the authenticity gap or really the no gap. Do you actually have an understanding of what is meaningful to you in this season? What is most important to you? What is your priority? Um, what kinds of things do you want to be devoting your focus and your intention to? And I'm going to skip the emotional energy gap for a second. That's the second gap, but it's, I'm skipping it for a reason. And the reason I'm skipping it is because we often, as humans, skip it. We go right from knowing what we want to trying to execute. And so that's the third gap. The third gap is the physical energy gap. Are we actually sort of aligning what we want with our actions? Do our actions support our priorities? Do our habits support our priorities? How do we close that gap? The middle gap that gets missed, I call it the emotional energy gap or the believe gap. And it's really, do we have the mindset and the thinking patterns in place to help us go from knowing what we want to executing on it? Because often what happens is we know what we want, we try to execute, and then we end up backsliding right back to where we started. And that is in large part because we've not done the things in the mindset space that we need to do, working with our nervous system to help us sort of effectively navigate that change. So that's what those three gaps are all about. I like that. I like that. You're really, I mean, if, if we were to use the metaphor of us as an engine, you're, you're tuning yourself uh, through yeah. your authenticity, your emotions and your physical, you know, it's a, I've worked in broadcast television now 40 plus years and, uh, um, I'd, I'd see footage of uh, journalists going into these tiny villages in Africa, and they're just quite literally dirt poor to Western standards. But here, here's these kids, and they're they're in just 
you know, desolate clothes. They have a stick to play with, but they have the most genuine smile. They're so genuinely happy and they have nothing. And it, it, it always made me smile when we think, oh, these, um, these poor people, we need to bring them Western mentality mm-hmm. so they can be unhappy mm-hmm. like us. It's it's like uh, if anything, we should export their. I mean, not as removed, but to to learn from their ability mm-hmm. to be genuinely happy, incidental of their physical environment. Yeah, I mean, and I think we've got this notion, right, which comes, I mean, if you look at the, the marketing machine that exists, right, and not to lay all the, the fault at the feet of, cap, you know, at the foot of capitalism or marketing, but, you know, this we, we've got this very loud narrative in our Western culture that, like, you know, you've said it, you're going to be happy when you arrive, and you'll also be happier if on the way you amass as many things as you possibly can amass, right? And, right. I mean, the, the challenge with, with materialism and with things being a source of happiness is something called hedonic adaptation. And that basically is the concept that as we experience new, um, you know, let's say I get a new pair of shoes and it might make me happy for a moment, but very quickly I adapt to having the new pair of shoes and it is no longer a source of happiness for me. And so there's a lot of, of things that are sold as means to happier lives that are really very temporary. And the fact is that, you know, happiness is an inside job and it really has to do with how we're behaving and how we're thinking on a daily basis in our lives. And then more broadly, like, are we then taking those daily intentions, behaviors, activities, and putting them towards a greater purpose to something that engages, you know, our passion and really gets us um, excited about what we're doing every day. I like that. Well, the the day we were born, none of us had a really uh, an, an ego to speak of, and in our family dynamics, um, the parental figures are are teaching us objects. Here's a chair. Here's a um, you know a book, yep. a table, and then we turn around and we assign value. And I think that's that's a huge thing. When we assign value to the elements in our life, like um, um, happiness in relationships, it's uh, mm-hmm. when when two people get married, what they're bringing to the table are these sometimes unique and sometimes quite different value systems. And if we use yeah. these values as a measuring stick, because our the notion of of values is kind of core to whether we're quote doing our life right unquote or not. I mean, our values yeah. are are kind of like our measuring stick. Now, if if there's so many uh, varieties of value, for example, on a farm, the value to be reliable and and you know, you're going to get the cows milked every day and, and a strong work ethic. And perhaps in a religious household, the value would be per, to be perceived as righteous or one with mm-hmm. God. If um, what comes to mind is that first gap, the authenticity gap, because what yeah. 
a lot a lot of times we're born into households that um, are contrary to who we really are, and um, sometimes would it serve us to reevaluate our value system to see if the, our value system serves us? I mean, I think it's it's even a, a bigger first step than that for many of us. It serves us to just sit down and document what's the programming we got. What's the right. value system we were told and sold? Like, let's actually sit down and write the story of, you know, based on my family of origin or my community of origin or, you know, the, the insert community here, what right. was I told about what makes me successful and what makes me valuable? And write it down. And then test whether, do I, do I want that to be my story? Because we have an opportunity to look at every piece of programming that we've been given and say, that no longer fits me and I want to change it. But, it, but changing it requires, first and foremost, an awareness of it. Right. Because you're not going to be able to change that programming if you, if you don't know that that's what you're trying to do. Right. So, yeah, I think about reevaluating your values is a big, first of all, sort of like understanding what you're, where you are today. And then getting clear on where you want to go is what it takes to close the authenticity gap. And values are absolutely an incredibly important part of that. Well, you know, there's that uh, white picket fence notion of life, you know, uh, and Mm -hmm. and maybe it fit 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You know, go go to school, get a job, uh, get the homestead, retire. And and it it was kind of a an unspoken maybe even a promise or the 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 guise of a promise, and then we look at um, people coming out of college and they uh, they can't get jobs answering phones, let alone what they went to college for, and and right. so the. The the model, the uh, what, what I called the white picket fence model, kind of um, left them hanging, so to speak. They they followed the guidelines of society, and now they're 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 sitting at home or flipping burgers, and and their idea of how their life was going to go, kind of um, the perhaps the wheels fell off metaphorically. How do we, how do we, in in the uh, disappointment of that, in the uh, frustration of that? I mean, there's there's lots of people that are kind of feeling pushed or corralled into situations that they never never would have chosen um, on their own. Um, how do you how do you navigate when when you get off in the weeds, how do you how do you sustain yourself even when it's challenging? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. There's a couple a couple of thoughts spring to mind, and the first thing I want to say is, when you are in the weeds and when you are struggling, I want to tell you it is okay to struggle. It's okay to feel right. like you're in the weeds. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be you know, 
sometimes to feel a little hopeless, right? But the key is not to get stuck in any of those emotions. And so how do you get yourself unstuck? I mean, I think the first thing, I'd like, I'll go back to what I said. I think the first thing is getting clear on what pieces of the story are you still carrying that you need to set down that aren't serving you anymore? What pieces of that, you know, you said the white picket fence, you know, deal are you still holding on to? Because that's clearly not where you've landed. It's not where you're going um, in the way that you initially maybe thought. And so it's really important, I think, to like redefine what it is that you want to want to try to do and how you want to try to get there. And then to recognize that it is a literal one step. I could walk from, I'm sitting in South Carolina right now, I could walk from South Carolina to California if I just take one step every day. Now, it's going to take me a really long time. Maybe it wouldn't happen in my lifetime. Fair enough. But but you get, <laughs> you get my point, right? right. If I move, well, you, I will get you, there. You, you, you hit Disneyland, you're not you're you're stuck. I know I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And so this notion yes. of like I think yes. I think when we're in the weeds we have this idea of like to escape, it's like to get where I want to go, it's so far away, it's so big, I don't see the path. All you right. need to be able to see is the first step. And right. so how do you create the space for the first step? And that goes back to some of like how do you integrate how do you in um not integrate, but insert or experience a little bit more positive emotion in your current circumstances. How do you get more comfortable with where you are? The first way you get more comfortable is you feel the feelings that you're feeling and then you release them. The second way you get more comfortable is you look for the things that are working. Whatever small thing is working, look at that because that's going to allow you that broad moment of having that positive emotion and maybe crack the door open to seeing that first step. And then after you see the first step, then you start looking for the next step. And so it's really just inch by inch, you know, moment by moment, finding your way forward without getting tied to this notion that in order to escape, that you have to somehow escape where you are today in order to feel better. Right. Well, and and the notion that, you know, the white picket fence thing fell apart and here I am. What I really want is to make this quantum jump up into this executive level position. And, and if I hang my hat on that as my, my only consideration, um, yep. I collapse so many other possibilities. I collapse so many other um, yep. outcomes or, or possibilities. So now you've been working with people regarding uh, their happiness. And when you think about um, some of the, the clients that you have, are there, uh, are there examples that you could share that, that kind of surprised you as far as happiness and, and what actually turned it around for them? So I'm usually really careful in how I talk about client examples because I feel like the work that I do is so deeply personal, but, when you ask well, about don't, surprise, don't I will say tell. names. Yeah, no, no, I, mean, I, know, I know that's don't, what you're Don't post their picture. <laughs> <laughs> By name, and I'll give you their LinkedIn. No, right. Um, no, no, no. But, but, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But so what I want to say is something kind of like more of a broader trend that I've observed that I've found interesting. So nice. when I started coaching, what I thought I would end up doing, well, first of all, I had a lot of people coming naturally coming to me and saying, I'm unhappy. I need to change. Like I need to change everything because this just isn't working. Right. And so I thought what I would end up doing is, is coaching people through that transition to figuring out what the thing was going to be that they were going to ch- change their career to or change their life to. Right. 
Right. And what actually I have ended up doing, I would say more than half the time people come and they say something like, you know, I need to flip it upside down. I need to leave my company. I need to switch careers entirely. I need to whatever the, the big change is. At more than half the time, they don't end up needing the big change in order to be happier. It is like this natural human inclination that we have that it's like not working now, so I have to make a big change. But it turns out that you don't have to shift the big stuff. You have to shift the little stuff. And when you shift the little stuff, often what you discover is that the issue wasn't your circumstances. The issue was you and how you were showing up in your circumstances. And when you can get right and more aligned in how you're showing up, your circumstances don't need to shift so radically. So that's been actually the most surprising thing about the work that I do is, is watching people, walking with people as they kind of discover, oh, no, the radical change that needed to happen was with me, not with my job or my relationship. It was about how I was showing up. And now that I'm showing up in a way that is more aligned with, you know, who I want to be in this world and how I want to be comfortable in my own life, this job is great or this relationship is great. So that's what I would right. Well, and I mean, certainly there's um, narratives, uh, stories of people who whose career has given them such joy and happiness, but we don't always have to hang our hat on, like you said, the, the career being the vehicle of our happiness. It Correct. and even if we're uh, we're in a temporary chapter of our life where we've taken on work that we might not have chosen, that doesn't, that by no means collapses or um, dictates whether or not we can experience that, that happiness element. Uh, careers and jobs aren't the decider of happiness. It, like you said, it's an inside job. So, well, well, that's a curious thing. So, um, when we think about happiness, is there is like like for myself uh, spirituality? I mean, the the buzzword of the century or whatever. I've <laughs> I've met people that are um, extremely. Uh, conscious and and mindful and awake or uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going near that word but um and and I go talk to him and I and I, I'm like well uh obviously you've been meditating for some time now you're very mindful obvious this obvious that and they look at me like what the hell is your problem hippie boy you know run out run away and and they're <laughs> they're they're living the spiritual life but they have no notion of it and and there's people in in our culture that are um uh, like perhaps robin williams uh, he he really wrestled with depression but yep. he he could uh he could flip that over and and laugh his ass off it it's yep. Is there value in observing other people and and uh, gleaming ideas of of how they find happiness in their lives? I think everybody that we meet in our lives, and I mean meet in the broadest sense, right? It could be meet through a movie or a book or through listening to something like that. This 
has wisdom that they can offer us. But it is always our job to figure out whether that wisdom is how we want to integrate that wisdom into our lives, right? And so I want to just be super careful and say, yeah, I think there's a lot we can learn from other people um, and observing how they source and access and experience happiness, but we Mm -hmm. can't then take that and then assume we can replicate it for ourselves because it is so individual, right? And so that, that you might look at somebody and say, oh, I see what they're doing, and that's a great example, but then how, how do I translate that into, like, the Becky style of happiness, not right. just try and live their happiness, right? Right. Good point, yeah. I like um, that. And then the other thing I just want to say since you brought it up, you know, with, with the Robin Williams thing is that there is a – there is an evolving or sort of newer model of thinking about well-being and in particular mental well-being, which distinguishes mental wellness from mental illness and, and that you could be both high in mental wellness, mental well-being, and high in mental illness, and that those are two different things. So that when we talk about somebody like Robin Williams who, who suffered from some very significant mental illness challenges, that doesn't mm-hmm. preclude your ability to also have these really incredible moments of joy and happiness. Um, right. It, you know, the, those are two, those two things can absolutely coexist. Right. I like that. Well, time can go by pretty fast here. Um, I want to make sure that the audience uh, knows how to get your book. And if you have services that you offer, um, whether the, Tell us if they're online or in person. Give us the the whole spiel about what makes Becky tick and and what um, what your modalities are. Sure. So, I mean, let's start with the easy one. The book you said already is called The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters, and it is available online. Amazon is probably the easiest place to find it, but it's available anywhere you can buy books online that I know of. Um, So that's number one. Number two, finding me, um, my website is untanglehappiness.com. And that's the easiest way to sort of find all my links for socials. And that's a great and quick way to connect with me. In terms of the work that I do, my focus is in two places. Number one, I work with individuals. So I work with individuals, typically people who want to make a, um, a shift in their own happiness. Um, often they've got a story a little bit like mine, right? Like they've had some professional success, they've checked some boxes, and they're sort of left wondering, wait a minute, wait, am I actually happy? How do I, how do I fix this life? And I'm finding that post-pandemic, there are a lot of people asking those questions because, as you pointed out, right, like the foundation shifted, and we are we we were sh- thrown into this sort of new set of circumstances that really provided us an opportunity to begin to question, wait, what is important? Do I want to go back to living like that or working like that or behaving like that? And so um, I work one-on-one with people. Um, I have a couple of different offerings right now. One is sort of a three-month offering. One is a longer year-long offering, and I'd be delighted to connect with anybody who wants to talk more about coaching or more about that in a very no-pressure, low-pressure sort of way. Um, And you can do that through my website. And then the other thing that I do is I – uh, work with organizations who want to bring some of this content to their teams. So I try to create really actionable um, training for them around um, key concepts in 
positive psychology and well-being. And again, there's been a huge call for that in these the current times where people are feeling sort of stretched and stressed and close to burnout. And it's, so it's how, how as individuals can we sort of shift our experience of our lives and our careers. So I hope that's enough information. But again, all of that information is on my website. Well, very nice. Well, that last piece, working with teams, I mean, we had talked about how you bring it about in the culture and in the business environment. If your team, we talked about the very positive attributes, consequences, side effects, if you will, of happiness in in team members. that's a very good way to to introduce it in more of a collective. Even though it's small teams, it's still a a, a vehicle for for change. Um, well, Becky, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've really enjoyed this episode. Well, thank you, sir, and um, a very happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you. We've been talking with. Becky Morrison, and the topic tonight has been the to- the title of her uh, book, The Happiness Recipe, and um, her author name is Rebecca Morrison. So if you go to a bookstore and look for Becky Morrison, the, the, the book is published under Rebecca. And again, her website is untanglehappiness.com. Well, We've got a we've got a curious opportunity here. The, the normal of 2019 was I, I don't think it was serving us at a heart and a soul level. Sure, we had our 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 lives and our routines, and uh, life was uh, much more predictable. Life was much more. Um, perhaps navigatable, if that's a word. But with the void of the norm, the collective normal kind of getting turned on its head, we have an opportunity to make a, a new normal, uh, a, a normal that that is more congruent, I suggest, with our hearts and our souls. If uh, a lot of the suffering in the world is from, I would suggest, ego overdosing. <laughs> and uh, for myself, like I've mentioned many times, uh, when the cosmic two by four cracked me open, uh, before that event, I had a really kind of a, a singular sense of self, so to speak. I was a TV engineer. I was a father and a husband, and it was kind of a a simpleton point of view, and and simple is a good thing, but um, now I do podcasts, I write books, I, I, I do public speaking, and those never would have happened had I stayed in my mind, had I stayed in my ego. And I think the new normal, um, the new normal, uh, it doesn't have to, but if we choose to honor what our heart and soul 
what our heart and our soul would prefer our collective culture, our collective consciousness. If our heart and our soul had some say, had some sway in what our day-to-day lives look like, you know, when I when I first went to write my my first book, my ego argued with my heart for like six years. Write a book less. Oh, hell yeah. Like that's going to be something. And it's a curious thing. I wrote um, for a book today. I sat down and opened the, the book and wrote in it. And I don't have to wait till the book is finished. Because my heart, my heart was the element within me that told me to write a book. And when I honor that today, not that I publish it today, not that it goes on sale today, but that I honored, I honored the step that would bring about my heart's desire. At the end of today, my heart feels satisfied. My heart feels fulfilled, and that's a that's a very deep anchoring feeling in my psyche that I, my ego has a very tough time creating on its own accord. There's just there's just something about what happens to us when it, it's it's almost like you teach your ego to to stand down. <laughs> Take a chill pill. I mean, and a lot of times our ego goes into overdrive and and we live life in the fast brain trying to figure out how to navigate all these changes. But your heart knows everything about you, about what will make you feel satisfied and fulfilled in your life, much, much more than your ego can even comprehend. So I suggest to you, here we are at the winter solstice and, and we're it's the darkest day of the year and we're about to go into another cycle of creation get some post-it notes and put them around the house i've i've said this before and your mind will be busy doing something else you're unloading the car you're doing the dishes and a single sentence will pop in your mind hey write a book Hey, go back to school. Hey, you know, uh, learn to uh, play the guitar. Write that down. When you write it down on paper, it has permanence. When you don't write it down, your ego can like bitch slap it into oblivion and then it's lost. But a simple thing as ink on paper, it, it what you're really doing is you're giving your heart consciousness you're giving your heart consciousness throughout your day because you come back home and you look at the paper and said oh yeah write a book and and had it not been ink on paper your your ego might not have ever visited that notion again so we're we're just uh i don't know how many days away from a new year and a new year of possibilities, a new year of dynamics. New choices create new outcomes. 
get in touch with what your heart and your soul would prefer your life to look like. And then teach your ego to respect that with um, intention, attention, and action. What an exciting time to be alive, huh? (laughs) I'm your host, Les Jensen. Always a pleasure. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at NewHumanLiving.com. Thanks for listening.